Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We have a guest speaker today from Celebration Church in Lakeville, Minnesota, Scott Forsberg. He is the son-in-law of Pastor CJ and Cheryl. In Scott's message today, he challenges us to stop settling for less when God has more. God has more for you and your family. Do you believe that today? We hope you enjoy this message. They don't know that. But anyways, uh, I'd like you to welcome today my son or son-in-law, Scott Forsberg. Man, there's so many more things I could tell, uh, stories I could go into, uh, more details that uh, we could talk about in that process, but uh, yeah, most of it's going to end embarrassing for more than just myself. So let's go ahead and move on a little bit. I know what y'all are thinking this morning. What are, You're thinking, as you, you look at uh, what I'm wearing this morning, you're like, what is my pastor thinking, Right? You know, he's got, he, 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 he brings this guy in to, 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 and, and gives him a mic as he's wearing skinny jeans and a floral shirt. I, I mean, I know uh, see, it went over well for CJ Jr. to wear some skinny jeans a few weeks ago, so I figured I'd one-up him with the floral shirt. Um, if you're uh, on the floral shirt group, I'll go ahead and leave it for pastor if you want it. But uh, to make it worse, not only did he, 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 he give the mic to somebody wearing skinny jeans and a floral shirt in the middle of uh, western Wisconsin, uh, somewhere over here in Siren, um, he invited a Vikings fan to share this morning. Now, seriously, the, the Packer fans just not showing up this morning or what? First service, I swear the Vikings fans outnumbered the Packer fans. I was actually kind of disappointed. I wanted to, I wanted to stir up some animosity, and there wasn't any. <laughs> Wisconsin nice. I thought I didn't know that was a thing. I heard of Minnesota nice. I never heard of Wisconsin nice. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm from Minnesota, so, but um. No, it's true. It's, I, I'm not even, I'll get there. Don't worry. So anyways, we got some Vikings fans in the room, clearly. They all made themselves known. The Packers fans chose to be quiet. I expected to get booed, but um, it's okay. You guys, my wife, I hear it every day. It's okay. Um, funny thing is, is uh, I told Heidi uh, early on in our marriage, when we have kids, you'll reap what you sow. It's biblical, right? She said, yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. I said, cool, our kids will be Vikings fans. <laughs> Because you chose your dad over your mom. No, <laughs> our kids will choose their dad over their mom. No, <laughs> that's right. I got a Steelers shirt on the front row or third row here. So <laughs> I won't alienate you too much. But uh, so in my house, here's how we get over the Vikings Packer dilemma, because it is one. You know, I, I don't really like her team. You know, I'm nice to her, but I don't really like her team. She doesn't really like my team. She's nice to me. She, in fact, she came to the game with me on Friday night, and she uh, didn't wear a Packers jersey. I was proud of her. You know, but she walked through the concourse high-fiving everybody there that wore a Packers jerseys because Packers fans can't show up to anything without wearing their Packer jersey. And so <laughs> she walked through the concourse. I was like, stop embarrassing me. <laughs> but here's how we settled this dilemma in our house, right? Listen, I might not like your team. You might not like my team. But we both hate the Bears. Can we, can we all agree with that? Can, can we? No? Yeah? No? Okay. So uh, we all hate the Bears. Bears fans in the house. Sorry, not sorry. But um, so listen, though, we don't have to agree on teams. We don't have to agree on things that don't really matter. We can have fun and we can joke around. Uh, but I, I'm telling you this, that even with our differences, whether it be appearances, teams we cheer for, where we come from, what we do, uh, what we value, 
the one thing that I know is that if God can send Jonah to Nineveh with the good news, he can send a Vikings fan to Packer country uh, with a message from them. And I, I sat on this, this front row on July 8th. A little over a month and a half ago, and, and I and I worshipped with you guys, and I and I sat in first service, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit dropped a word in my spirit for you guys this morning, and, and I felt it very clearly that He said, "Hey, when you come up here next month, you need to share from Second Kings chapter four. And, and and I just felt impressed upon my spirit from that moment forward that I just I focused on the scripture, I prayed about the scripture, and 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 I asked God, "What word do you have for the people of Siren, Wisconsin, at Adventure Church uh, on the morning of August?" August 26th. And I, and I prayed about it and I asked God just to reveal what he had for you guys. And I believe that he sent me this morning with a prophetic word for Adventure Church here in Siren, Wisconsin. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you all to stand with me this morning as I read the word of God from 2 Kings chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets. That's a cool company. I want to be a part of that company. The company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, or to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. That is brutal. That is absolutely brutal. Definitely not first world problems, not 2018 problems. That is some major life problems. Taking my sons as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into, into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it, put it to one side. She left them and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. The oil then stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So most of you don't know me in this room. A few of you might uh, have heard of me uh, from your pastor, from people that know me, but most of you don't know me this morning. It's not like I come to church here often. It's not like we've had a whole lot of experience together, relationships, uh, or built relationships. But one thing that I know that I can count on, because I know, that you're, I know your pastors, I know their heart, and I know that they are a people of faith, this is that uh, at our church, we have this saying, we're a faith church. Nobody wants to go to a no-faith church. Nobody wants to go to church with problems, with circumstances, with issues, with struggles, and leave with those same problems, those same issues, those same circumstances, those same struggles. Nobody wants to come to church hurting and leave hurting. Nobody wants to come to church feeling alone and leave feeling alone. Nobody wants to come to church without experiencing a life-changing God. And I believe that our churches have that in common because I know your pastors and I know their hearts. Can we pray this morning? 
God, I thank you for the opportunity, first of all, God, to share your word. God, it is an absolute honor to be able to open your word. God, to be challenged and inspired by you. But God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning. God, I pray that you would prepare us, God, not for the amount that we came expecting, but God, that you would increase our expectation, God, so that we may receive the amount that you want to pour out, God, and not the amount that we came to receive. Because God, I believe that you have more for us this morning. God, I pray that you would again open our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you see, to go ahead and uh, tell three people around you that God has more. So I, I hope this morning to get those three words to sink deep into your spirit. You know, as, we, as I prepared for this week, as I talked to Pastor CJ this week, you know, he asked me, he said, hey, do you have any PowerPoint slides? Do you have any notes? Uh, Pastor Jeremiah was asking the same thing, like, hey, I can help if you have some, some PowerPoint slides or if you need some notes printed off so that way we can give them to the people so they can uh, take notes and take it home with them. And I said, listen, if I can't get without having a note sheet, if I can't get these three words to sink into their spirit, uh, then I've failed. And so all I care is, is that you walk away with these three words. No matter where you came from in life, no matter what you came expecting, no matter what your life has dealt you, God has more. Maybe you don't know him. He still has more for you. Maybe you've known him for 50 years and you've experienced incredible blessing in your life. There's still more. God has more this morning. That's the notes. Those three words. I hope everybody can remember them, but I'm going to keep teaching about them and I'm going to keep sharing my heart this morning. Uh, how many people in here just love calling customer service lines? Man, I didn't get a single person. <laughs> you know, you, you call uh, these customer service lines. The government ones are the worst. Sorry if anybody works at one of those. But, like, you know, our, our seniors pastor at our church, uh, not our senior pastor, but our seniors pastor, the, the guy that, that pastors the older people, not the people who are seniors in high school, but the, the seniors of the church. Uh, I don't know what age to put on that because I don't want to make anybody feel old. But... Um, he had to call our state insurance uh, company. Uh, I, I, they call it MinCare or something like that. He had to call MinCare and uh, talk to them about his insurance because there was something that needed to be resolved by that day. Otherwise, he was on the hook for some big money. And so he calls them early that morning. And he comes into the office, and, 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 and he's walking around with his cell phone's on speakerphone, and this just terrible music is playing out of his pocket. I'm like, Pastor Dan, what is going on uh, with your pocket there? Like, I, I don't want to hear this. He said, it's hold music. I was like, why are you walking around with hold music coming from your pocket? He said, I have to call the state insurance company in order to uh, resolve an issue today. And so he walks around for six hours that day with uh, hold music coming from his pocket. It was so annoying. And of course, he didn't want to turn it down because he didn't want to miss anybody. So we all dealt with it. He's like, you know, across the office and down the hall, and I can still hear this hold music going on. It was, it was nuts. Um, but these customer service lines are just the worst thing ever. You, you kind of get, get caught in the middle of them. I had to call one for our internet provider uh, a couple, a few months ago before I switched. You, you probably can guess why I switched. Um, 
And I called them like four or five different times. They sent me different routers. They sent me different equipment. They sent me different people out. And nothing was ever getting fixed. And so like when I wanted to call them the last time to cancel my service, to tell them that I didn't want any more of their service because I didn't like it and they clearly weren't fixing it, um, I, I just dreaded the call because I knew that I was going to have to go through like 15 different automated services just to tell somebody to stop charging me money. Like, I don't want your service anymore. I already signed up with somebody else. And so I'm going through like these 15 automated messages where it's like, press one if you're a current customer. Press two if you want to talk to billing. Press, you know, like press three for this, four for that, one again for this, two again for that. And next thing you know, I'm like 15 messages later, ready to throw my smartphone across the room and see if it's smart enough to have figured out how to land without shattering yet. But it's not, uh, and I didn't because I can't afford to buy another one. But um, we have these, these moments, though, in life where we just feel like we're caught in this uh, jungle of communication where, and we can't get out of it, like these customer service lines where we're, we're looking for this person, we're looking for that person, and every time I call, I'm like, if I could just talk to the right person and, and, and we can have a quick discussion, I can get the answers that I need and we can move on with our lives. I can maybe get a better deal or I can at least get my situation resolved. And oftentimes I feel like we have those same circumstances in, in, in our life. Like if I could just talk to the right person, I could get this resolved. And I feel like this widow was in that moment when she cried out for the man of God, Elisha. And, and I want to let you know this morning that God has more than you deserve. Because it would have been easy for this widow to have not gotten the time of day from the prophet Elisha. I mean, Elisha was a big deal. I mean, and it's not talking kind of a big deal. Elisha was a big deal. He was the prophet. I mean, his predecessor was Elijah, who most people will, will revere as one of the greatest prophets ever to live. You know, the, the, Elijah was the guy who stood up against nations. Elijah was the guy who God took up into heaven in, in, in a chariot. Elijah was a big deal. And when Elisha was anointed, he said, listen, God, I don't want it if you don't have double for me. I mean, Elisha was a bold man. He didn't back down. He wasn't scared. Even when God called him, he still asked God for more. And I'm telling you, God has more for you this morning. I mean, Elisha advised kings. He called out kings. Battles were won based on his insight. He instructed Naaman, who was the commander of the Aram army, to go bathe in the Jordan River, not once, not twice, but seven times, the nasty, dirty, grimy Jordan River. In fact, Naaman was like, why do I want to go in that place? Yet Naaman, the commander of the armies of Aram, went ahead and took Elisha's word for it. Speaking of armies, Elisha made the Syrian army go blind. And, it, and put them in a state of confusion, an entire army. And yet that same army, he went ahead and gave them their sight back, again, through the power of God. Like Elisha wasn't somebody to be messed with. He was a man who walked boldly in the company of the elite. And yet, here we read of him helping out this lowly widow who was, quite honestly, undeserving of his time. Elisha had more, more important people to deal with. He had more important people to call out. 
He had more important things to do. And yet we see Elisha stop and take a moment to help this lady. And you can tell this widow, she's crying out. We don't know what the circumstances are, what the situation is. We don't know if Elisha is passing by, if he's maybe teaching, if he's um, maybe in the middle of performing some incredible miracle. And she's like, listen, stop. I have a need. All we know is that this woman comes to Elisha with a need and she cries out to him. So clearly it's not like a planned meeting. And, and, and Elisha takes the time to be able to talk to her. So for her, she got a moment to speak with the right person and get the right results. It's not far-fetched for us to think that this woman may have forever gone, unforgot, or gone forgotten. It's not far-fetched for us to even go, hey, there's a good chance we wouldn't have read about her in our Bibles because he was so important, he didn't have time for her. And yet, we see this moment in time where Elisha has a simple dialogue with her. I mean, she, has, she cries out to him. He asks two questions. He gives her an answer. It's pretty simple. Like, it's not a lot of time, but there's a huge impact on this. And so we, we see this moment in time, though, where, where this person who's, who's, who could have been viewed as undeserving has the attention of somebody who is quite honestly, far more important. And yet, even more so, God has more for us than we deserve, right? Because when we come to God and he engages in a relationship with us, he doesn't have to. God doesn't need anything from us. In fact, as far-fetched as it is for this widow to have the time of day from the prophet, you know, the, the guy calling out kings, it's even more far-fetched for us to, to, to realize that the God who created the universe, the God who sets the wind into motion, the God who calls the tide to rise, the God who commands anything on earth will take a moment to have a relationship with you and I, with the ones that he created, the ones that are unworthy. And we see this moment where it's, an, it's, 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 it's this incredible picture where uh, Elijah, Elisha takes this moment to engage with this widow, an undeserving widow. And it's this incredible picture of our lives where we have these moments where this God who created everything doesn't need us for anything, will engage with us. I also want to let you know that God has more for you than the world. There's more than the world. In verse 1, it says uh, that he's coming to take my sons as slaves. We go through life desperately seeking love and acceptance to appease feelings and emotions. And for many of us, the answers that look the most appealing to us, the answers that we choose, those things that we go to to comfort us, end up being the very things that the devil has put in our way to trap us. And we go through all of these things looking for the world to meet our needs, looking for the world to fill a feeling, to fulfill a feeling, looking for the enemy to be able to help us to feel better in a current situation, in a current circumstances. And we don't realize that everything that he has for us is a trap. That those traps, though, they look appealing. So we had this, um, at our old house, we had this, this mice issue. It was, it was pretty gross. It was getting a little out of hand. And, and, and I'm, I'm a city kid. I, I, I don't really like dealing with mice. Like, I, I, I got to wash my hands like 30 times after I deal with that. Like, I just, I don't, I don't want to deal with it. 
You know, like it's, it's, it's gross. And so, um, so I bought those like expensive mouse traps where like the mouse has to go inside and they die inside. I don't have to see it. I just throw the thing away and I'm done with it, right? And, and I found that I was going through a lot of those. They weren't really getting the job done. And, and, and I was paying a lot of money for them. So what I did is I went to Fleet Farm. I, I, I needed a map and a tour guide and... No. <laughs> I went to Fleet Farm, and I got those old-school traps, right, the ones where they're spring-loaded, and as a kid, like, you probably thought they were toys and got your fingers snapped in them. Uh, okay, I'm the only one. Um, but you, I went to Fleet Farm, and I got some of the cheap traps that spring-loaded, swing shut, you know, break your finger off. And, um, and I got a whole bunch of those because they were really cheap, and I set them all over our laundry room because that's where the mouse problem was. And I set out uh, this, you know, this, this, well, it wasn't really nice cheese, but I set this cheese on it. I want to say really nice cheese because I'm in Wisconsin. And uh, I went to Burnett Dairy a couple weeks ago, and I love that place. Um, I, can, I can agree with you all Packer fans about your cheese. I like the cheese. Um, and, and we set this cheese or peanut butter on this trap uh, in order to be able to get the mice uh, in this trap. And, and I go down there the next day to see if my trap had caught anything, right? And, and when I go down there, I find this mouse with its tail stuck in the trap. It's still alive. I already said I don't like this. When it was dead, it was one thing. When it's alive, it's even worse. And um, yeah, I, I don't even want to go. There's nightmares still. But, um, and I see this mouse, though, dragging. I, I tried to get my wife to get a cat. She's scared of them. That would have been so much easier. Uh, I see this, this mouse dragging this trap across the floor. You know, it's stuck on his tail, and it's just dragging it across the floor. And I'm like, how much is that like our lives, our spiritual lives? You know, where we, we, we think we can handle something, right? We get into a situation because it feels good. In the moment, it sounds awesome. Uh, we, it, it might even be fun for a little while. Uh, that cheese, just, I, I, can't, I, can't stay, I can't resist it. You know, those things of the world just look so appealing. And then we find ourselves trapped in them, and we can't get away from them. We're still trying to explain them away. And 50 years later, we're dragging that trap around, trying to get rid of it, trying to shake it off, and we just can't get out of it ourselves. And we don't realize how much of an anchor it becomes in our lives. We don't realize how much of an anchor it becomes in the lives of the people around us. We don't realize how it affects our spouses. We don't realize how it affects our children. We don't even realize how it affects our grandchildren. telling you the enemy is playing for keeps and he's coming after your future these two boys rep represented the future of this widow and she was looking at a scary future for them she was looking at a future of slavery for her sons can you imagine the pain that goes into that yet we don't realize that when we make some of the choices that we make in our lives that we're doing just that to our kids we're giving them a future of bondage and slavery of dependency on substances, of, of, on, of experiencing brokenness. And we're, we're, we're passing those things on to them because I'm telling you, I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but generational curses are a real thing and what your kids see, they will repeat. And what your kids experience will happen again. You have to realize that those traps aren't just set for you, they're set for your future. Those traps are, are going to entangle those around you. They're going to entangle and affect those that come behind you. 
The decisions that we're making don't just affect ourselves. And it's the lie of the enemy to tell us that it's, it's not going to hurt anybody else. In fact, we're deceived into thinking it's not going to hurt ourselves. But try telling somebody who's 50 years down the road carrying that trap behind them that it doesn't affect them, that it doesn't affect their family, that it doesn't affect their kids. Because generational curses are a real thing and they get passed off by observation alone. You don't have to pass the bottle to your kid, they'll find it. You don't have to pass the substance to your kid, they'll find it. You don't have to pass the immorality to your kid, they'll find it. Because they've witnessed it. They pick it up. It's just part of life. They haven't even been taught to do it. They didn't even have a choice because they were so young that they didn't even know. We have to realize that the enemy's coming after your future, but God has more. God has more. Because just as generational curses exist, so do generational blessings. I'm going I'm to come back to that, though. God has more than an excuse. Oftentimes, we have these built-in excuses in our life, you know, where we just think, you know, like, ah, I just don't have anything. In fact, the widow says, I have nothing. How often is that our response in life? You know, we have a need, and somebody asks you, well, what do you have? I have nothing. Sorry, somebody else is going to have to do something for me. We pass the buck. just means somebody else has to, has to be willing to meet my need for me. Uh, but the widow, the widow behind this I have nothing phrase, she has a comma. For a lot of us, we'll say I have nothing with a period, and it makes all of the difference in the world. The punctuation matters. Because for us that put a period behind I have nothing, we don't give God an opportunity to work with anything. But this woman says, I have nothing. And there might have been a pause. She might have had to think about it. But she says, except for this small jar of oil. Over-dramatized statements are in vogue in 2018. Just scroll Facebook for five minutes and you'll find 30 of them. And so often we view what we do have as so little that we call it nothing. This jar of oil would have easily qualified. The funny thing is, is even if we have something, we'll look at everything that everybody else has and compare it to what we have and we'll never have enough, so we call it nothing. We look at the little bit of something in comparison to the big picture and then we equate really quickly that we have nothing because what I have isn't going to meet the need. And we begin to just utter, I have nothing. Just because it's not enough doesn't mean it's nothing. Right? Just because it's not enough doesn't mean it's nothing. What if the boy who, fed, who, who, who gave Jesus his lunch, five loaves and two fishes, would have said, I have nothing? We would have had 5,000 hangry people that day. If, they would have, if, if that boy would have said, hey, listen, my lunch clearly isn't going to feed 5,000 men, including women and children, on top of that. Like if he would have just said, hey, I got nothing. Because again, in the big picture, it was nothing. But if he didn't take what he had and, and he didn't surrender it to Jesus, because in his hands, yeah, it was nothing. It was a meal for him. But in the hands of Jesus, it was a meal for 5,000. We have to realize that what we view as nothing in our hands is, yeah, in fact, nothing. It's not enough. But what we have is nothing in his hands is more than enough. It's more than enough. We don't have that excuse if we can just surrender what we have. It may not be much. We may view it as nothing. But we have something and we have to place it in the hands who can make it everything. 
Listen, my bank account isn't awesome. Your pastor didn't bring in a big-name speaker who, who travels the country preaching the gospel, you know, getting paid to do so, getting paid well to do so. Uh, I'm a humble associate pastor. For those of you that don't know what an associate pastor does, I don't either. I literally just do what I'm told to when I'm told to. Hey, Scott, can you do this? Hey, Scott, can you do that? Hey, Scott, can you take care of this? Hey, Scott, can you do that? Oh, hey, and then can you preach this weekend over in youth? Can you go share with the kids? Can you, can you take care of the insurance policy? Can you, can you call this person? Can you call that person? We need the, the, the plumbing fixed in the bathroom. It, it, it literally, I can't tell you what my job is. My job is everything. Like I just, I do that. So, so your pastor didn't bring in somebody who's paid to do what I'm doing this morning. Your pastor brought in a humble associate pastor who doesn't even know what he's doing. <laughs> but if my, if Wells Fargo, the number on my account at Wells Fargo said everything that there is about what I have, it wouldn't say very much about myself. What I have is not defined by what that bank account says, but what I have is defined by who my source is, and that is God. Because I have so much more than a number at a bank account. I have uh, an incredible family. I have an incredible opportunity to do, uh, to to serve a God that I'm passionate about, that I love, that I'll do anything for, including find a plumber to fix the pipe in the bathroom. Because what I have is so much more than a number at the bank account. And too often we define what we have by the number that the bank says and not by the things that really matter in life. And I have so many things that I would have chalked up as zeros in my life when I were asked, what do you have? Well, I'm a a quick learner. I'm resourceful. Uh, I have the ability to be able to observe, process information, and apply it quickly. Uh, But it, it doesn't really sound like much, right? Yet I've turned that ability into my provision by surrendering it to God. When I've given him my resourcefulness, when I've given him uh, my willingness to be able to uh, observe and apply information in a hurry, I've been able to provide for my family with what looked like nothing. It is amazing to me what nothing can do when you surrender it to the God who made you out of nothing, out of dust. None of us amount to much, but in his hands, it's everything. The things that I perceived as nothing have turned into a lot of ministry in my life. Uh, Things like public speaking. Man, pray for those poor kids that had to endure the first year of my preaching as a youth pastor. I'm pretty sure they still need some counseling. It was bad. It was bad. Things like graphic design, where I, I, I'm not an artist, wasn't trying to be, but I just was willing to fill a need. And, and 10 years later, I'm able to uh, be proficient enough in most of that software that I could earn an income, well, probably earning a lot more than I do now, in graphic design. Something that was a zero in my life has become a, 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 an absolute miracle that has been multiplied by God because I was willing to give it to him. 
things like processing documents, legal documents, insurance documents, um, building management, all of those different things were all complete zeros in my life. I would have called them nothing. But in the hands of God, they've been used to be able to expand his kingdom for his glory and been able to do what God has called me to do and provide for my family based on things that were nothing. In fact, the things that I was good at that I would have uh, told people I'm awesome at, or, or at least uh, adequate at, are the things that I'm not using in my life. Because I felt like most of my life, like the only things I was good at is uh, stuff that involved a ball in competition, uh, who could maybe run the fastest or jump the highest, and, and math. I don't use any of those things. I can't tell you the last time I saw uh, an, an algebraic equation. I can't tell you the last, I, I've never used calculus. I, I took it in school, but I never used it. Like the things that I was good at, I don't even currently use. They're the nothings in my life now. And yet the things that I didn't value are what I use every day. God has more than we can possibly prepare for. Not just a few. In verse 3, not just a few. I love this. Not just a few. The prophet is warning this woman, don't, don't you dare grab just a few jars. Don't you dare grab just enough to get by. Don't you dare sell yourself short. Not just a few. Notice a couple of things. First, that the prophet said empty jars. He didn't ask for the neighbors to provide more oil. Half full jars would have been awesome. You didn't have to fill those as much. He didn't ask for, for, for her to grab stuff that, that, that would bring more value to the table. He said empty jars. He wanted clean jars to fill with his oil. It was more valuable that way. Why would we pollute our lifeline by pouring it into half, half full jars or unclean jars? I could preach a whole sermon based on the fact that we'll look at what's on the outside and what we value rather than cleaning out the inside and making sure we're prepared for the oil of God to flow in our lives. But I'm not going to go there. But he said empty vessels, clean vessels that he could fill because he had more. He didn't need the stuff the neighbors had. He didn't need their oil. He had better in store for them. The other thing that I want you to notice is this. The miracle was not measured by the amount of oil that was available, but by the number of jars that were available. It was measured by the number of jars that were available, not the amount of oil that was available. Elisha didn't tell them how many jars to get. He just warned them to make sure they got enough. He didn't give them a measurement of how, many, of how much oil was going to flow into their lives. He didn't tell them there was a limit. How many jars would you have gotten if you were in that situation? We get the benefit of reading the book so we don't have to, uh, so we know what to expect for it, so we would act like we would plan accordingly. But if you're put in that spot, in that situation, in that moment, I would venture to bet that most of us would have just gone and gotten the number of jars that was convenient. You know, I don't feel like carrying any more jars. You know, I don't feel like knocking on any more neighbors' doors and embarrassing myself by asking them for empty jars. Well, why do you want those empty jars? Uh, you see, uh, my mom went to uh, the man of God, and, and, and he told her to take her, her small jar of olive oil and pour it out into these large jars of uh, these large empty jars, and that God was going to fill those jars and, 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 and those jars and those jars too, and those jars too, out of this little jar that my mom has. 
Yeah, most of us would have gone to only the neighbors that uh, we would have trusted to not judge us for telling them something crazy. We would have only sought what was convenient because we would have catered to our feelings. We would have catered to what we want or we would have catered to what was easy. It's, it's human nature. And yet, for the others in this room, we would have gotten what was practical. I'm a practical person. I would have quick done the math. Hey, how, many, how much oil do I need to cover my debt? And I would have gone and gotten enough jars, get enough oil to cover my debt, and I would have gotten a fresh start, and I would have been happy. I would have settled for less than everything that God has for me. But in your life, when God is pouring out a miracle, don't get caught going, man, I wish I would have grabbed more jars. Man, I wish I would have knocked on that neighbor's door. Man, I wish that I would have uh, not had a narrow scope on what could be filled, uh, what containers could be filled with oil. Man, I wish I would have asked for more because after three jars are full and I have just barely enough to cover my debt, God would have kept pouring out in my life and I wouldn't have had to worry about where my next paycheck was coming for because he had enough for me to live on for the rest of my life. Don't get caught sitting back going, man, I wish I would have asked for more jars. I wish I would have been willing to put myself out there a little bit more. I wish I would have been willing to let the neighbors think I'm crazy because they're really going to be crazy when they see all of the oil that I carry out and what were empty vessels and empty jars in my life. The miracle was not measured by the number of jars, but by the amount, or, or, or was measured by the number of jars and not by the amount of oil. And it tells me in our lives that our miracles are not measured by what God wants to provide, but what we have faith for. Because He always has more. It's how I started out. He always has more for you. And a lot of times we settle for just the amount we have faith for, just the number of jars that we bring to pour out. I wish I had time to tell you all the stories of the time that I've, times I've sold myself short in life. More times than I'd ever like to admit. It's been a problem that I've had time and time again, where I've just continued to be okay with settling for less, where I've tempered my expectations. I'll convince myself that I'm willing or that it's the right thing to do, to settle for an okay amount, an adequate amount. Use terms like, don't get your hopes up. I'm a Vikings fan. <laughs> don't get your hopes up. All the while, I would justify it by saying I was just being realistic. Right? I'm just being realistic. In the world of faith, a realistic view is really just a narrow view. It's just a narrow view. It reduces miracles to that which is achievable and not that which is impossible. The achievable is what I can do. Newsflash, it's not awesome. But I want the impossible, which is what only God can do. What's achievable, that's, that's no faith church stuff. That's why do I need to go to church stuff? That's I'm just going to work hard stuff. There's nothing awesome about the achievable. But what God has is so much more. What God has is impossible. What God has is not just a few, right? Not just a few jars. 
See, if I settled for all in my, if, if I settled for all that was realistic in my life, if I just set my sights on the realistic, if I just set my, my sights on real life, my life would be lonely. My life would probably involve an empty bottle. My life would probably be defined more by what I've lost than what I've gained. Because I look at a society right now where too many kids are living broken lives because marriage wasn't realistic. Because society says, you can get married again. In fact, you can get married again. In fact, you can get married again. It's not going to affect anybody. Your life's going to be better. Yeah, but your kids' life is going to stink. And I've seen a society that says, oh, you don't, you know, the, the real world is so tough. I'm just going to go ahead and medicate. I'm going to use a substance to feel better. Because I can forget about it for a moment. Meanwhile, everything that ever mattered is wasting away. Could have easily been my life. If I were wanting to view life through reality, through what was realistic. If I wanted to settle in my life for what was realistic. Because reality is harsh. Reality hurts. And when we're realistic and we temper our expectations through what is achievable or what's realistic and we refuse to put our faith in God and be able to allow him to pour out in our lives, in fact, life just gets overwhelming. So I'll pass on being realistic. I'll pass on it. Because I can't realistically make it on my own without the hope that comes with Jesus Christ. He already has given me more than I ever deserved when he died on the cross for my sin. If he never did another thing for me in my life, if he didn't come through with this miracle or that miracle, if he didn't provide this or didn't provide that, he's already done enough. He's already done more than I could ever possibly deserve in my life. So I'll pass on realistic because it's not realistic that the God of the universe would send his son to pay my price. It's not realistic. He didn't deserve it. So please get your hopes up in life. Don't be afraid to get your hopes up in life. Every year I do for the Vikings, it's okay. My heart, my heart will be broken this year again. It's okay. I'll get over it. I'll get my hopes up again next year. But if I don't get my hopes up, I can't even be excited if they did win a Super Bowl. They probably won't. But get your hopes up because you can't experience a miracle without getting your hopes up. Because you'll always settle for just enough to get by. You always settle for just enough to get through this situation. And you don't realize that God has more for you because there's more that we can prepare for and there's more than just a miracle. So you're going to get your experience for this miracle and you're going to get caught up in this need in this moment. But God has more than just a miracle because if we get too caught up on this moment and this circumstance and this miracle that we need in this moment, we're going to lose track of the God of the miracle. We're going to lose track of the God who could do more miracles, of the God who could do more than just enough to get me by, of the God who can do uh, anything and everything, of the God who can provide for more than just the debt, but also enough to live on. If this widow would have just grabbed a few, she would have still been living in regret. We need to look past the miracle and to the God of the miracle. We need, we cannot let our need 
be magnified more than our God. Because if our need is all we see, we're going to have another need. There's always another need. There's always another struggle. There's always another process. It's called life. There's always another struggle. In point one, I talked about uh, the God of, of, of the heavens and the earth who wants to have a relationship with you. But what healthy relationship exists in a one-sided manner? We can't reduce God to a vending machine by just asking him for stuff. Just asking him when we have a need. But he wants to have a relationship with you. We need to be a people who will seek his face and not just his hand. We need to be a people who really, truly experience God and know that he wants more for us than we want for ourselves. Because this, this widow would have accepted just getting rid of the debt. But she was faithful. She listened to the man of God. And she had enough to live on beyond just the need. There was far more than just the need. As uh, somebody comes up to play keys, I'm going to share one last bit of insight with you. I'm going to hurry up and close this thing down. But God has more than a moment for you. We have to look at the big picture, and we have to realize that we're fighting for more than a moment. We're fighting for more than just our circumstances. We're fighting for, for, for the future of our lives. I talked about how the enemy wants to steal your future. And, and, and we read about how in the moment, this widow's sons were going to be taken into slavery. The enemy was after her future, her sons. And so often we're held hostage of the moment, the situation in front of us, and it's so overwhelming. And then once we get through the moment, we're back to the same old. There would have probably been more debt. There would have probably been more struggles. There might have even been another situation in which her sons were facing slavery. And I read that last statement. And I can't imagine the feeling of having your, your sons on the brink of being taken away from you. And then having God provide in such a way that there was leftover because there was enough to not only pay the debt, there was enough to not only provide this widow for the rest of her life, but there was leftover, enough to provide for her sons. And I want to tell you something. Because of her active faithfulness of, of obedience, because of her faithfulness, her sons were blessed. They went from being slaves to not only being free, but being ahead in life. They had a catapult in their lives. They had something to start with. They had the ability to impact and influence generations behind them. This woman went from just changing a situation and changing a moment to changing a family tree. And we have to realize that, that not just as generational curses do exist, and, and trust me, I could easily be the hostage of a bottle. Generational blessings exist as well. I look at my children every day and I thank God for the choices their grandparents made. Choices to be faithful, choices to be people of prayer, choices to put down uh, tough circumstances and situations, choices to fight against what the enemy had for them, choices that my kids are now living and blessing as a result of. I believe that my kids are experiencing prayers deferred from their grandparents just as much as they're experiencing life change from their parents. We have to realize that there is more than the moment 
Because when we get caught up thinking we can manage a moment and we can achieve what we're facing, God is saying it's more than that. I want to change not only you, I want to change your heart. I want to change the people around you. I want to affect the generations below you. And I've seen generational blessing in my children. I've seen generational blessing in people around me. We have to realize that God has more for you than this moment. But God has future moments. So just as the enemy wants to steal your future, God wants to give you a future. He wants to give you a step ahead. He wants to give you a leg up. He wants to give your kids a blessing as a result of this moment and this opportunity and this time right here. So we started this out by talking about a woman, a widow in a desperate place. And I just feel led this morning. If you're in that place, if you're in a desperate place this morning, would you stand up? Would you lift a hand and stand up? If, you're, if you find yourself in a desperate place this morning, you need God to, to, to step up in a big way to influence life change, not just for you, but for your children, for your grandchildren. And you want to see a difference made in a family tree. I encourage you to stand up. Can I take a moment to pray for y'all? If, if, if there's a faithful believer around one of these people standing, would you stand up and put a hand on their shoulder for me? I just want to take a moment to pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, for it challenges us. It inspires us. It changes us. God, every time we open it, it's your word speaking to us. And God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. God, that you would influence change, God, not only in, in moments and situations, God, that you would not only provide in these desperate moments and these situations, but God, that you would influence an entire family tree, God, that generational curses would be broken, God, and general, generational blessings would be bestowed upon your people this morning. God, I pray that you would not only have your way in their circumstances, but God, in the amount that you have, God, not in the amount of our faith, but God, in the amount that you have, God, that you would pour out in their lives, that you would fill their cup this morning. God, may it be overflowing, God, into the people around them, God, and overflowing into the people and the generations that come underneath them. God, right now we break off that bondage in the name of Jesus and we declare blessing in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Adventure Church. Well, it's finally here, the Adventure Church app. We invite you to download it by searching either Apple App Store or Google Play, or simply text AC Siren app, all one word, to 77977 to get a direct link. You can also check out our website, www.adventurechurchsiren.com.